we are aiming at doing exactly what Chris said, which is being able to praise the Lord through all the circumstances of life. And we find ourselves in different circumstances many, many times. And yet, uh, God's Word gives us hope. And long ago, God made a promise to Abraham. And he said, I will surely bless you, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. It's a word of the Lord found in the first book of the Bible. And then we discover, as time rolled on, Uh, We find this in Galatians chapter 4. Paul says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. And we ask a question of who, who is he? Who is the Son? The Son's name is Jesus. He is the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, the Son of Noah, the Son of Adam, the Son of God. And Peter stood and testified to what we find in Acts chapter 2, which says that Jesus, this Jesus about whom we have just heard, is a Jesus of Nazareth, born in a particular place at a particular time. And he was a man who was attested to us by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. This Jesus was then delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He was crucified, killed by the hands of lawless men, However, God raised him up from the dead, a fact to which all of the apostles were eyewitnesses, and God then exalted him to the right hand of majesty, having then he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out his Spirit upon all flesh, which we read about last week and thought about last week, and this offspring of Abraham that was spoken of long ago is the person of Jesus who gives his spirit to any who would come to the Lord in repentance of their sins and profess faith in God through Jesus. This Jesus is the one who introduced the kingdom of God uh, into the kingdom of man. He brought a little bit of heaven down to earth. This Jesus began a great work during his lifetime that he, after he ascended, continued through the presence of his spirit whom he gave to his apostles and charged them with taking this message throughout the world to the end of the ages. And so we are the recipients of all that I just said. God's great promise long ago to be a blessing to all nations He has then poured out through his people who he's then sent out into the world to spread a message that has gone around the globe. And I I sat and for those of you who I know, made a list of all of the countries of origin. And I came up with about 22 different countries of origin represented by people who worship in this congregation. The fulfillment of God long ago saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your descendants and all peoples, all families, all nations will be blessed in one of your descendants. And we have the incredible blessing to say, God fulfilled that. We live on this side of that. And yet we're still trying to understand the full implications of all that God has done. And so last week, as we we were trying to make our way through the New Testament, if you're with us here for the first time, and I want to invite you to turn to um, the fifth book of the Bible, of the New Testament, sorry, which is the Acts of the Apostles. Siri's talking to me. I wasn't talking to you, Siri. Be quiet. 
never interrupt a preacher in the middle of a sermon. I thought that was somebody else's phone. It's mine. Well, that's interesting. All right. God wanted a little emphasis there. So Acts. Uh, we, we made through the first half of the, of, the, of the Acts of the Apostles, and we made it to Acts chapter 15. So if you're with us this morning, our aim, what I'm going to try to do, is make my way from 15, the last part of 15, all the way through to the end of the chapter. It's an impossible task, but with God, all things are possible, and so I'm excited. Because what we're going to see as you move through the Bible there are different aspects of God's glory that gets highlighted. And as you're reading scripture, and I pray every one of you have a Bible reading plan that you're, you're able to make your way through scripture, bear with the frustration and keep pressing because there's goodness if you, if you keep going. There is wonderful blessings that are promised if you be diligent. And it gets even better if you talk about it with other people, like your family. Things that you're learning, which we talked about last week, right? Just bear witness to what God has done in your life. That's, that's all Jesus asked. All I want you to do is just talk about what I've done in your life. And that's what we are going to do this morning. We're going to make our way from Acts chapter 16 to 28 and, and highlighting two things. What I'm going to do is kind of go through every chapter and point out two themes. One is suffering and one is God's sovereignty. <clears throat> suffering and sovereignty is something we will see again and again and again as we follow <clears throat> primarily the Apostle Paul. Nobody suffered like him. And it makes me wonder, what in the world was Jesus doing when he in advance said to Saul, I, I am going to use you in, in an incredible way, and it is going to be through suffering See, that's amazing. How, how many of us, if you knew walking with Jesus would entail suffering, you'd ever sign up for it? And yet here's what we see Jesus announcing beforehand about this guy called Saul, who we met last week. <clears throat> Chapter 9, verses 15 and 16 say this. The Lord said, go. He's talking to Ananias. He want, I want you to go talk to this guy Saul, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. And that's the same for all of us. We're, we're to carry the name of Jesus. We are, we are called Christians, meaning we're little Christ. We're like Christ. We are to bear his name to the world. And, and the question is, when people look at you, is there anything in you that would point them to Christ? Are, are we shining the goodness and the glory of Christ? We need to ask ourselves that every day because there's, there's no such thing as a Sunday Christian and then you're doing whatever you're doing for the rest of the week. That's not a biblical Christian. A Christian is a person who is a Christian at all times and in all places. And so that's what Jesus called Saul to do, to carry his name before Gentiles, before kings, and children of Israel. So God, is, Jesus is putting an anointing on this man called Saul to carry his name in low places and high places. And then he says this, which is staggering, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Jesus says in advance, I am going to use Saul and it is going to entail suffering. So I think most of us get really weary in our faith when we suffer. 
We think, we have this expectation that if you become a Christian, your life ought to be free from suffering. That's not a biblical reference. We get that from someplace else. But here, what we see Jesus saying about Saul is, I'm going to use you to talk to kings. I'm going to use you to talk to little people, big people, people in high places and low places. And it is going to involve suffering. And so how can we move through Acts without seeing the sovereignty of God? Because Jesus has a plan. He announced it in advance, and it includes suffering. And so we're going to jump through this, and there's about five uh, different major scenes that we will uh, go through as we look at Saul. We're going to go through his second missionary journey and his third one, but we're going to stop. Most of his ministry is going to take place in Greece. Some of it will take place in Ephesus. Others will take place in Jerusalem. Then in Caesarea will be a couple of years of his life, and then finally we're going to land in Rome which is uh, the, the conclusion of Acts. And so first off, we'll just, we're going to now go to jump back into 15. So if you have your Bible, if you do, it would just turn to Acts chapter 15 with me. That's where we're going to start. We're going to see um, this. We're, we're called as Paul to, <laughs> Paul is called to bear witness. So we're going to see his witness in all of these places where he simply says, this is what God has done through my life. So go back with me now to Antioch in Syria. So this is a little bit north of, um, of Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas had been there. You remember last week we, we talked about the first council of the church deciding on whether or not Gentiles had to um, be, become Jews in order to become believers. Paul and Barnabas were there in Antioch ministering. The great blessing was coming to the church. And this is about A.D. 49 or so. The Lord Jesus puts it into their hearts to go out to their sent, right? So we're, we're going to see that Paul is sent, we're going to see sovereignty, and we're going to see suffering in his life. But Paul and Barnabas are there in Antioch, and, and the Lord puts it in their hearts to go out. And yet, when they start making plans for their trip, they bump into a little problem. So Acts chapter 15, 37 to 14 Barnabas uh, wanted to take with them John called Mark. So Saul and Barnabas, let's go on a little mission trip. Uh, Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp distinction, a, a disagreement, so that they separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to the south to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria up north and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Saul, uh, Paul and Barnabas both agree, let's go on a mission trip. Let's go back to where uh, we had been previously. Last week we saw the first mission trip. Let's go back to those churches and strengthen the churches. And Paul and Barnabas, yes. And Paul says, I want to take Silas. And Barnabas says, I want to take John Mark. Let's take him with us. And Paul says, he, he left us on the first trip. We got halfway through it and he took off. I don't want to take him. I don't trust him. He's going to bail out on us. And Barnabas said, come on, Paul, you're being a little harsh. He's a young kid. He just needs a break. So let's take him with us. And Paul said, no way. I'm not going to do it. And Barnabas said, I, haven't you been shown grace? Let's show him a little grace. And Paul said, there's too much work to be done. Silas is trustworthy. He's going with me. I'm not taking John Mark. And Barnabas said, I kind of think the Lord wants me to take John Mark. And Paul said, okay. You go to the south, I'll go to the north. Where's the suffering? Here's two friends that 
uh, bump into each other. And I don't imagine that was an easy conversation. I think that was probably pretty tense. It says a sharp disagreement. You've had sharp disagreements, haven't you? Sometimes you come home cut a little. And yet, in God's sovereignty, what do we see? We see two mission trips rather than just one. We see one mission trip going up north into Cilicia and through Syria, and another going across the ocean to Cyprus. So suffering is mingled here with God's plan for expanding his, 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 his gospel and the word. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing again and again. Jesus does his work through circumstances to magnify the gospel through suffering, through sovereignty, by expanding his work. And so we've seen the gospel ministry go out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And here again, the gospel keeps spreading. So then Paul makes his way up north. North, through Syria, up north, then through Cilicia, and he comes to the city of Lystra. So we're going on a, on a, on a journey, and I hope I don't lose you with the maps, but I, I hope it's helpful to get to see where he's headed up north into Lystra, and we see also that God did something very unusual. And Paul has a vision where God directs him into a particular region by telling him, don't go here, but go here. And if you've ever thought, could it be possible that it is God's will for me not to share the gospel? If you need a biblical example, here it is. Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 6 to 10. So they went through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That's astounding. The Holy Spirit says, don't go to Asia just yet. The time is not right. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. You'll also see that the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus is one Spirit. One Holy Spirit. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and in a vision appeared to Paul at night, a man from Macedonia who was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul, in stopping in Lystra, he meets this little guy called Timothy and bumps into, Timothy will be his traveling companion from here on out. He's a young man. He begins to travel with Paul. And yet here, Paul says, we should go here. Holy Spirit says, no, don't go there. I don't want you to go there yet. And oh, okay, we'll go south. Uh, no, I don't want you to go there yet either. I want you to shoot on and press on eastward. I'm sorry, westward into Macedonia. And so he concludes, yes, we, uh, this is where we're going to preach. And, and I, I wonder to you, we ought to pray in asking the Lord, should I share the gospel with this person? Sometimes the answer might be no. You don't have to force the gospel on anyone. And Paul here experiences, no doubt, where's the suffering here? I see suffering and confusion. I mean, if you told me there's a biblical example where the Spirit of God led someone not to share the gospel, I would say, I think you need to go back and read the Bible again. Probably not there, but it is here. So the Holy Spirit is sovereign over the times in which, the places in which the gospel is shared. And so the Spirit of God directed Paul up into Macedonia. So he probably had some confusion. He had to figure that out. He's wrestling with the Lord to say, where do you want me to go? And God opens a door through this vision. So then they head on up into Macedonia and land in Philippi. This is in the middle of chapter 16. 
And we see the sovereignty of God here. When Paul finds a little group, small group of women who are outside the city praying, Paul preaches the gospel to this little group of women. He talks about Jesus. And in verse 14, we see that the Lord opened a a woman called Lydia's heart to receive what Paul had been saying. So here's the sovereignty of the Spirit of God in salvation. Our hearts are so hardened against the Lord in sin, in stubbornness, that we need the work of the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts to to hear the gospel as good news and receive it as, as salvation. So when we share the gospel, when you're bearing witness about what God has done in your life, pray that the Spirit of God would also be working, creating an opening of a heart and, and, and God, God has to do that opening up in order to receive. And so we, hear, we see the suffering, I mean the sovereignty of God in salvation. And then after this, Paul went on into the city. He bumps into a, a little girl who was possessed by a demon whose owners were manipulating her and using her for financial gain. Paul then cast the demon out of this little girl and the owners realized, man, we have lost our income. So what they do is they grab Paul and Silas, and here's the suffering part. They grab Paul and Silas, seize them, drag them into a place where they begin stripping off their coat and beating them with rods, inflicting many blows on them, and then had them thrown in prison that night. And in prison, their feet were even shackled into um, the, the floor of the prison. So here's Paul. What is he? Paul and Silas have done nothing but good in helping a little girl be free from demonic uh, possession, and they get beaten for it and thrown in prison, suffering for the name of Jesus and what they're doing. But yet, what's the sovereignty of God in this instance? The Lord Jesus wants to save the jailer. And so that night, as Paul and Silas singing in prison, praising the Lord, there in God's sovereignty, an earthquake happened, and it just happened to break off the chains of all of the prisoners. Now, that's a crazy earthquake, isn't it? I can see cabinets, you know, rocking and and back and forth, but chains falling off people's hands, uh, clearly the sovereignty of God. And the prison uh, master who, who ran in, and he says to these guys, who he was convinced had all escaped, and none of them left. Not a single prisoner left that prison that night. That's, that is crazy. And yet they all saw something in Paul and Silas that they wanted. And nobody left. They stayed. And so the, the, the prison master, he says to them, what do I have to do to be saved? And he falls down on his knees. And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and everybody who believes with you, including all your family. That man came to salvation that night. So in God's sovereignty, through Paul's suffering and Silas's suffering of being beaten, they were able to bring salvation to this Philippian jailer and his family. From there, they move on into Thessalonica. And we see the suffering begins almost immediately. Paul's habit is to go into a new city. He goes to the synagogue, and that's the first place he begins to say to his, his people, the Messiah has come. 
Jesus is the Messiah. They listened, but then a group of them grew jealous of the attention that was given to Paul and Silas and incited an entire mob against them and tried to kill Paul and Silas. So they have to flee. And yet in God's sovereignty, even in the middle of that, we find verse 14, which says, some of the Jews were persuaded to join Paul and Silas and a great many of the devout Greeks also, and not a few leading women. Meaning, even in the proclamation that incited a mob, there were still people who believed. That, that always happens. When, when the gospel is shared, some people hate it, and some people find eternity, eternal life. Don't despair in the rejection. Don't give up because somebody refuses to give you the response you think. Because there will always be those who are listening who will hear. And so... Even in the suffering, God uses his sovereignty to bring salvation to many people. From there, they move on up a little northwest into Berea. And the suffering here, again, uh, happens in the same way. There are enemies of the gospel who, in verse 13, we are told, agitated and stirred up the crowds against Paul and Silas and effectively ran them out of town. And that's the suffering getting run out of town. The sovereignty is, again, many Jews believed, along with some of the Greeks and women of high standing, Right? So even people in influential positions are, are hearing the gospel that Messiah has come and believing it. So that's Berea. We also then, Paul moves on into Athens. Here, Paul is by himself. He's left alone. All of his traveling companions have left him. He, he's, he's in Athens by himself. He walks around, looks at what he sees, and he sees a city that worships idols. And he begins having a conversation with people in the marketplace and preaches a sermon. And the, the result is he was mocked. Now, have you ever been mocked in sharing your testimony? In talking about what God has done in your life? People mock you and say, you're, you're an idiot. Where did you come from? And yet we see in 1734, despite the mockery, some believed Paul and joined him. Some believed the gospel and were willing not only just to say, I believe the gospel, but go with him. They joined him. And then Paul then moves into Corinth in chapter 18 now. And he happens to meet a, a couple called Priscilla and uh, Aquila who wind up being partners with him in planting the church in Ephesus. They had been kicked out of uh, Jerusalem, uh, or, sorry, out of Rome because of the uh, edict of Claudius, and yet they fled in, in God's sovereignty, directed their paths to meet Paul. He's in Corinth. He is opposed and reviled. We are told in verse 6, there's the suffering. And yet in the sovereignty of God, Crispus, who's the ruler of the synagogue, becomes a believer, along with many Corinthians. He, he evidently was an influential person, and he began sharing his faith in, in the Lord, and so they come to faith. Now, Paul is, uh, with the opposition intensifying, it's, a, it's time in his ministry on this journey that he's going to get discouraged. He needs some encouragement. You ever been there? You're, you're pressing along, things are going okay, and then something happens. Uh, the opposition continues to rise, and you need a little encouragement. Well, guess who shows up at just the right time? Lord Jesus, in his sovereignty, in 18.9, he appears to Paul in a vision and he says to him, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. I am with you. No one will uh, attack you to harm you for I have many people in this city. Don't despair. I'm with you, Paul. 
Don't give up. I'm with you. Don't be silent. I think Paul was struggling with the temptation here to give up. He's weary, and yet the Lord Jesus encourages him, and he has a year and a half of of peaceful ministry in Corinth. A year and a half of unopposed ministry. During this time, he writes his letters, both of them, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. He writes back to the church where he's been and shares some encouragement with them. And then after this, there's a change in the local uh, proconsul. Gallio comes into position, which then some of the Jews who oppose Paul see an opportunity. It's a year and a half. So Jesus gave him a year and a half of peace. And then the change of, of local governor led to an attack on him. And we are told in verse 12 of 18, right, the Jews made a united attack. So it was a tensional effort of those who opposed to Paul, gathered together, let's get rid of this guy. So this banding together of a kind of conspiracy against him, and all he's doing is sharing the truth. And yet, he is opposed again and again and again. And so this now effectively brings us to the end of Paul's uh, second missionary journey. He then returns to Antioch Uh, for a little respite to share with the church all that's happened, which will take us into the next phase, which we will see uh, happens in Ephesus. So the third um, missionary trip will will take place from AD 52 to 57. So Paul has, he's gone back to all those churches sharing. And what have we seen? Constant opposition, suffering in every city, mobs after him. He's been beaten and yet he keeps going. Why in the world does he do this? Do you ever wonder, what in the world keeps him going through such opposition? Can't help but think he's quite convinced this is true. Jesus actually has risen from the dead. He he really fulfilled the promises. The Old Testament, which we saw a few weeks ago, all of those pointers, scriptures pointing to Jesus being the Messiah, Paul's convinced he is the one. This truth is more important than his own life and health to him. And so he, he continues in Antioch for a little while. And then in AD 52 or so, he's again moved to return to Ephesus, to some of the cities that he has been in before. So he goes to Ephesus, about 250,000 people. Ephesus was uh, the location of the temple of Artemis, who was the goddess of hunting and fertility. It's a, a port city. And so travelers from all over the world stop in in Ephesus. Paul goes to Ephesus and he begins where? In the synagogue, as he does every time, he goes to the synagogue and begins preaching. He reasoned with them for three months. And and it was a fruitful period of time, people listening and having engaging conversations about the truthfulness of Scripture, moving forward in ministry. And then suddenly, some of the Jews began to grow stubborn in unbelief, and they began publicly speaking evil of him. So they continue to reject what they know is true. After three months, they they realize um, we are not with Paul. And so they begin speaking evil of him, saying not only is this just his opinion, but he's actually causing harm. This Paul needs to be done away with. He is a danger to our society. And so this, after two years of fruitful ministry, intensifies the suffering. And so uh, the entire city then uh, begin to rise up in a riot uh, because of Demetrius, who was a silversmith who made little silver shrines of the temple of Artemis. And he notices nobody's buying my little shrines anymore. And he realizes that's because Paul and his preaching is prohibiting people from worshiping Artemis. So he gets his local businessmen together and said, we need to do something about this guy. 
And so let's, uh, let's start a riot and, 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 and kill this guy. They couldn't find him. Unfortunately, Paul was hidden. And so for his sake, um, he is, is then faced with this situation of, do I answer these accusations? Paul wants to go into an arena where the whole mob has gathered and answer the questions. And his friends say, they will tear you to pieces, Paul. You cannot do this. So he doesn't. He listens to the wisdom. But the entire city is wrapped up against him. And he has to flee. Now, during this time period of a very fruitful ministry, two years, Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians. And so in the midst of suffering, God's sovereignty is yet the gospel is being proclaimed. In fact, Paul says, through the ministry of the church in Ephesus, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So the gospel had gone out. In spite of the suffering, the sovereignty of the Lord is still proclaiming good news. We see the same thing happen again as he left Ephesus. He went into Macedonia up north. Uh, Paul travels through the regions of Macedonia, southern Turkey, probably Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, uh, this area. And during this time, he writes the uh, second letter to the Corinthians. It's about A.D. 56 or so. And he stayed in Corinth again for three months. He wrote the letter uh, of, to Romans, which many of us have been blessed by for centuries. And yet even there in Corinth, suddenly a plot was made against him by the Jews. And he again has to flee for his life. This poor man, every city he goes into, he preaches. Some people welcome him. And then soon there is a mob who is ready to kick him out. So he goes into Troas, different location, and he gets a new blot on his preaching resume. Paul uh, goes to the church. They have a worship service, probably starts in the evening. This is in chapter 20, if you're wondering where we are. And as Paul is sharing the wonders of what God has done through him and the glory of Christ shining through him, they're on a third floor um, large open room and a guy called Eutychus is sitting in the back in the windowsill because his window's open you know it's COVID they needed some air circulation and so he's out by the window um, he falls into a deep sleep as Paul is preaching and Paul extended his sermon and kept talking and the poor boy fell out of the window 30 feet and and died he died in um, this fall so Paul then, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, I can identify with Paul preaching long sermons that people fall asleep to, and yet I wonder what happens next. In God's sovereignty, Paul is able to go and raise this boy from the dead. He, he goes out, everybody runs outside, sermon stops, they run outside, and Paul grabs a hold of him and, and picks him up to himself, and, and the Lord Jesus allows his soul to return to his body. And then, what would you do? If that had just happened, would we all say, okay, enough for the day. I don't want anybody else falling asleep. Uh, you know, we'll all go home. We'll enjoy the evening. And Paul says, no, I still have some more to say. He continues to preach all the way through until the morning. And, and evidently, nobody else fell out the window after that. And so we have this, this incredible journey. What's the point? Here, I think Paul is so energized by being with God's people. And, and sharing what the Lord Jesus has done. This is a little pointer to me. We cannot be Christians apart from other Christians. God did not create us to be growing and thriving in our faith without a connection, a deep connection with one another. 
That's why here at this church, what do we do? We have large group gatherings like this one on Sunday morning, and we have smaller group gatherings. We call them life groups. And we want every person who calls hope home to be in a life group. We want you to have a, a deep and intimate connection with uh, other people who are, are walking with you through life. And, and so we need each other. We can't be isolated. And we all know that, right? We've learned it over the past couple of years. We're wilting spiritually, being disconnected from one another. And so Paul so enjoys being with God's people, he just can't leave. So that's in um, Troas. Then he moves again uh, south to Miletus. In Miletus, we have one of the sweetest passages in Scripture of Paul. He's begun to have a sense that his life is coming to an end. His time is drawing to a close. And so in, at, at um, Miletus, he calls for the elders of the Ephesian church. And he says, I, I, I need one more time with you. I need to say some things. And if you've ever wanted to hear the final words of a, a, a pastor who loves his people, an elder who loves his people, read chapter 20. The last half of chapter 20, Paul shares his heart with the, the elders. He's talking to the leaders of the church and he pleads with them on how they ought to shepherd God's church and, and, and follow the Lord's will in preaching the whole counsel of God. Paul tells them, preach all of God's word, meaning Old Testament, New Testament, beginning to end, teach the whole counsel of the Lord because he says to them in verse 25, none of you will see my face again. It's the last time we're gonna meet. And then he goes on and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that nothing but imprisonment and afflictions await me. I know what's going to happen when I get to Jerusalem, just like Jesus did. I know when I get there, I'm going to be imprisoned and beaten. I know what's coming, and yet I'm going. And he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious, if only I may finish my course and my ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. How many of you need to hear the gospel of the grace of God? He does not say, I joyfully testify to the gospel of judgment of God. Paul says, grace of God. Because he himself says, I am the chiefest of sinners. There's nobody who deserves salvation, least of all me, says Paul. And yet, the Lord Jesus in his sovereignty has shown grace to me. If you're here today, and you don't know the grace and forgiveness that comes from having your sins washed away, and you confessing your sins and saying, will you forgive me? I want you to know that's possible. The gospel is God gives a promise. No matter your past, if you confess your sins and, and repent of your sins and proclaim your faith in the Lord Jesus, the Bible tells us God will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's, that's the God who loves us and shares grace with us. And Paul says, that's the grace of, of the gospel. So from Miletus, he makes his way then across the Mediterranean Sea and lands uh, back in Palestine, in Caesarea first, and then into Jerusalem. So that takes us to the next phase, which is in Jerusalem. So what happens now is Paul's done with his mission trips. They're over. He's not going to be going out on any more mission trips, except one sponsored by the Roman soldiers. They will help him his, on his final mission trip. So he arrives in Caesarea. He spends a little time with some of the saints there. Um, and he says, um, God reveals to him through a prophet called Agabus. 
Paul, I want you to know when you get to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound and handed over to uh, the Gentiles. Paul says, I know, I've already been told that. You're telling me again. Yes, God is preparing his heart for what he is going to endure. And the suffering comes when Paul responds and says, in verse uh, in 21, it's chapter 21, verse 13, he says, I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus had told him before, you're going to carry my name before Gentiles and Jews. He's done that. The last part of Jesus' statement that we read earlier was, you're also going to proclaim my name before kings. That has not yet happened. It's about to, under God's sovereignty, that is going to unfold now in Jerusalem. Paul goes from Caesarea down to Jerusalem, and as he arrives, he meets with the local elders and the apostles. They have a wonderful time together, but they share with him, Paul, there's rumors that you're teaching people not to keep the law, that you're telling Jews they don't have to keep the law. Paul says, no, I'm saying Gentiles don't have to keep the law. And, the, and, and James says, that's not what people have heard here. So demonstrate that you're still a faithful Jew by helping some guys who are under a Nazarite vow pay for their final offering at the end of their vow and prove that you're still affirming our traditional expression of Judaism. And Paul said, okay, I'll do it. So he goes into this week-long period of of purification, the end of which, as they come out of the temple, he is seen by some of the Jews who had been with him probably in Ephesus, and they knew Paul was traveling with Gentiles, and they charged him with bringing Gentiles into the temple and defiling the temple. And so an entire mob erupts again. So here's Paul just being obedient. And, and, and yet in God's sovereignty, he's about to do something incredible. As the mob attacks him, and we are told in 27 to 31, this is in chapter 21, they grabbed him, seized him, which means forcefully by hands, dragged him out of the temple, and then began beating him with the intention of killing him. And just so happens at that moment, some Roman troops pass by and they break into this mob and rescue Paul. They, they have to physically carry him up out of the mob on some steps, getting ready to bring him into the barracks. And Paul says, this is a great opportunity for me to preach. He says to his Roman captors who have just rescued him from death, would you mind if I talk for just a minute, please? And they say, sure. <laughs> now, and that sovereignty of God here, overseeing soldiers. And so Paul says, can I just explain something? And you know what he does? He, he, there's a crowd of people. He simply bears witness to what Jesus has done in his life. And he talks about his command both to take the gospel to Jews, and all the Jews are listening to him. Everybody gets quiet. And, and when he says, Jesus also wants me to take the gospel to Gentiles, everybody erupts. They throw off their coat. They're pitching dirt in the air and exploding in anger. And the soldiers are like, what did you say? So they take him away into the barracks. And that night, right? So here you are. You're back in your home turf. It's like coming to your home high school. And instead of them throwing a party, they chain you up to kill you. And and so, can you imagine that Paul's a little discouraged? He knew it was coming, but that's sometimes like, you know you're going to get hit, and and yet it still hurts when the punch lands. And so here, 
again, guess who shows up that night? The Lord Jesus. In 2311, Acts 2311, Jesus says this, take courage. As you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, which you just did, so you must testify in Rome. The Lord Jesus speaks to Paul and says, don't worry, I've got you. You, you just obeyed me in Jerusalem, and I will see to it that you obey me in Rome. And so Paul has enough endurance to continue to keep his faith. And yet, in the middle of all of this, is discovered a plot against Paul's life. Forty Jews got together and they said, this guy needs to be killed, and we bind ourselves under a vow that we will not eat and we will not drink until he is dead. And as they were plotting this, Paul's nephew is sitting over here eat, drinking a Coke and eating a piece of pizza, and he hears everything they say. And so nephew runs to the centurion and he says, hey, guess what? They're going to ask to bring up Paul for further questioning tomorrow. Don't be deceived. They're going to kill him on the way. And the Roman centurion then gathers 470 troops that very moment at 9 o'clock at night. And they march from Jerusalem all the way up to Caesarea, which is about 60 or 70 miles or so. In the middle of the night, 470 Roman troops take Paul all the way to Caesarea to save his life. Who's in charge of those troops? A centurion or a sovereign savior? Is Paul enduring incredible suffering? Yes. And is the Lord Jesus expressing his plan through it? Absolutely. And so Paul lands safely in Caesarea, uh, where we will we'll, we'll pick up the scene next. In Caesarea, um, beautiful port city, gorgeous place. And yet Paul is here. Now comes the time for the last part of Jesus' plan for Paul's life to begin its, un, its fulfillment. The, the, the presentation of the gospel before kings and people in high places. So the governor, Felix, lives there. We're at about AD 57 now. We're in chapter 24. Um, Felix is the governor, and he then asks for Paul to share um, what is going on and what the charges are. So Paul gets to share his, his testimony with Felix. Now Felix, uh, Paul suffers under him. He's still in prison, but Felix is, he loves pleasing the Jews more than he loves executing justice. So he refuses to issue a verdict. And so he leaves Paul in prison for two years, locked up, but the whole time he is, is being able to, to share the gospel with the people around him. And so there's a change of, of governor, Felix steps out, Festus steps in, and so Festus says, Paul, I need you to tell me, why are you in prison? And so Paul again tells him his whole story, and he, he I can't make a judgment, I have to think about this for a little while, and King Agrippa, uh, Herod Agrippa, who's the great-grandson of King Herod, who was present and alive when Jesus was born, great-grandson, he shows up and visits uh, Festus. And he says to King Herod, I got this guy called Paul. The Jews are ticked off about him. But when he told me what the offenses were, didn't seem like any big deal to me. So I'm kind of wondering, would you sit in and listen to a hearing and help me decide? And so he says, sure. So Festus and, and King Agrippa gather every important person in all of Caesarea and they call him in for a hearing. And here is the sovereign Lord Jesus giving Paul opportunity to bear witness 
to what he has done in front of kings. And so Paul does. He testifies before King Agrippa. This is 25 and and part of 26. Um, And in the end, both men, Festus and King Agrippa, both conclude he's innocent. He should be let go. Um, But because Festus had refused to render a verdict, Paul said, if you're not going to hear my case, then I appeal to Caesar. And he says, well, to Caesar you have appealed, then to Caesar you shall go. Onward unfolds the plan of the Lord Jesus to take Paul to testify even before Caesar himself. So the final step of Paul's journey. We're in Acts chapter 27 to 28 now. Paul's witness in Rome. They leave from Caesarea and travel across the Mediterranean, chapter 27, um, again governed by the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus. And as they move across the Mediterranean Sea, they left in the fall. And bad weather forces them further south than they would love to actually have gone and missed um, going to Italy and dropped down into the island of Malta. And at uh, Malta, their ship ran aground. So when you think, does God use storms to direct people's path? Here's a clear example that he who calms the storms when he was here on earth still controls the storms from heaven. He drove their ship to the island of Malta. It crashed. Everyone made it to shore safely. It's cold. It's winter. They're weary. And the islanders welcomed them and kindly built a fire on the beach. And Paul reaches down to put some sticks on the fire. And and here's this poor guy. He has been suffering for Jesus all over the globe. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been cursed. He's been lied about. He's been run out of town. Mobs have, have been after him from place to place to go. He just wants to sit down and have a cup of coffee around a campfire. And as he puts some wood on the fire, a poisonous viper latches onto his hand. I mean, at, at that moment, what would you do <laughs> after all you've been through? And Paul just shakes it off into the fire. And all of the islanders say, aha, he got away from justice on the sea. And now justice on land has gotten him. He must be a murderer because now he's going to die of this poisonous snake bite. And Paul's not worried. He's incredible. And and after the time elapsed at which they expected him to drop dead, Paul's still drinking coffee and telling stories. And so they suddenly change their mind and think, he must be a God. And so Paul says, I'm not a God, but I work for him. And I want to tell you about him. And so he explains the gospel. And the governor of the island says, you know, my dad is sick. If, If your God is real, could you come, you know, just say hi to him and pray for him? Paul goes and heals him. He prays for him. Paul didn't heal him. Jesus healed him through Paul. And so everybody on the island of Malta comes in for healing, and the Lord Jesus is gracious, and he heals them all. Do you know to this day, there is a a Christian witness that has been on the island of Malta ever since, and there is a great cathedral named, as you could probably imagine, St. Paul's Cathedral, that Paul's suffering of a snakebite and and all that he went through, shipwreck and snakebite, and yet sovereignty of our Lord saw to it that an island heard the gospel. Are these just accidents or is the sovereignty of God ruling? 
So eventually, Paul winds up at Rome, and we'll quickly conclude. He is chained to a Roman guard for the next two years, on and off, the changing of the guard every four hours. He's still in prison. He's still suffering. He's not free to move about. And yet, in God's sovereignty, Paul says, my affliction has really worked out for the benefit of the gospel. For now, the entire Praetorian guard has heard the gospel. Every one of them who's chained to me for four hours, guess what I get to tell them? It's incredible. And see, he, he says also, even some of Caesar's household have come to faith in Jesus. Right? He, he, he shared the gospel with Caesar. Church history tells us in some letters from the early church fathers, he was actually released uh, from this imprisonment for a few years, and he didn't go into retirement. He went into Spain, hung out there for a little while, and then returned, still preaching the gospel, got in trouble again with the Roman government, and then he was beheaded. And that is where uh, the book of Acts ends. And so what have we seen? A sovereign savior who says to his people, I will give you my spirit to communicate, yes, intimate presence, but also bold proclamation. Yes, to the love of God poured out within you, but for, for also the empowering of, of a witness, for you to bear witness to the truth. And there are so many people around us who need to hear the truth. The promise of God proved true. The word of Jesus was fulfilled. God's promise to Abraham has been fulfilled through Jesus. Jesus alone died and rose from the dead, then bodily ascended into paradise, from which he poured out his Holy Spirit after being seated at the right hand of the Father and gave his people the power to bear witness to his name. And we are still doing it to this very day because the gospel is true. The Holy Spirit is real. Jesus is actually risen. He still reigns. And yes, his people endure suffering. So don't despair that the suffering you're enduring is apart from the sovereignty of God. Surrender, keep close to the Lord Jesus and don't give up. Do not give up. You've got people in your life who ridicule you and mock you for being a Christian. Don't stop lovingly and gently sharing the truth with them. Pray for them night and day. Gather with other believers to pray for them. And the Lord Jesus will magnify his name through all of our lives. And so I want to I invite you to do something and just, I'm, I'm going to give you 30 seconds of just silence. So just sit and ask, Lord, what do you want me to hear from what I have just heard? What do you want to say to me? Lord Jesus, we confess you are our God and Savior. You are sovereign over our lives and over salvation. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to magnify your name among us and grant us faith to trust in you in all that we do and say.
In Christ's name I pray. Amen.